Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and in this podcast, we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in 2020. And this is a special episode with John Ranieri because this will be his last episode here on the show. You'll hear why in a little bit because he's going to be breaking some news. But before we get to that, first of all, thank you to everybody who also subscribes to our other podcast, the Rambling Runner Podcast. That one's going to go to once a week here in February and in March as we really focus in on the Olympic trials pre and post race. So, I'm just excited with all of this stuff going on in the world. There'll still be three podcasts per week over the next two months, but two of those per week will be here on the Road to the Olympic Trials feed. So if you haven't done so already, subscribe to both so you won't miss a thing. Now, here's my conversation with John Ranieri. John, congratulations and welcome back to the show. Hey, uh, thank you so much, Matt. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um... And thank you for having me on again. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'll tell you what, man. It was great to see you uh, down in Houston. We got to actually spend some time together uh, before the race, which was awesome. I know we've had a lot of these conversations, but haven't spent a lot of time in person. And I'll tell you what, man. I think a lot of people had high hopes for that race. Not only the athletes, but the people who were you know, excited to view the race and I'll tell you what, man, people, you especially and the other elites did not disappoint so many men under 62 minutes, you included in that pack. What was that like just during the middle of the race when you saw everyone together and just knew that something, you know, potentially special was about to happen? So kind of like when we were running towards like the 4K mark and the 5K mark and, you know, just like getting towards 10K, um, everyone was still together. You know, I did a gut check. I felt pretty good. I felt pretty smooth. Um, you know, and, and I saw like 15 to 20 other people like with me and they looked really smooth and they looked like they were control. And I was like, okay, game on. Like, let's get after it, boys. And now I'm sure that you have done plenty of visualization and plenty of just thinking about the race. You obviously knew who was going to be in the field. Did what happened align with what you were predicting was going to happen, not just for yourself, but just for the field in general? Oh, I mean, like, gosh, no. I mean, like, I didn't really think 14 American men would be under 62 minutes. But um, I think that goes to show the talent. And I think that, you know, goes to show, like, the depth that we have in, in like, in just the uh, uh, United States in general. Um, you know, we have really talented and hardworking individuals. Um, and they had an opportunity to actually showcase their talents. Um on a really awesome course, you know, on a pretty ideal day for the most part. Um, so I think as a whole, I, I think that kind of exceeded my expectations and that made it so much more enjoyable because it was a shared experience with everyone else. Um, if I'm coming from a personal standpoint, we knew we were in shape to go uh, 61.30 to 62 minutes. It, it was just whether we were going to go 61.30 or whether we were going to go closer to 62 minutes. And this was close to 62 minutes. I mean, we were like 29.05 going through the 10K. And that's when we hit some major win on the back half. So, um, so like I knew we banked enough time 
early on to where um like if we just like stayed strong then like we would all be underneath that barrier yeah see the wind was a significant factor in this race in some respects and maybe not in others and i actually got some messages from some other athletes who didn't run in the race who were just curious about it because you know i was there in town and obviously i was doing some stuff for the race but you know so for me like i went for a run that morning before the race. So I come out of my hotel, I take a left and I'm like, Oh God, no. I like immediately turned around because the wind was blowing so hard in my face. I was like, I'm not running that way. So I'm going to turn around and go this way. So it was so funny for me to be like, I can't imagine folks are going to be running in this today. And then I saw some other people asking like, Hey, do you think these guys got a pretty significant tailwind? I mean, this, these times are awesome, right? Like, like you said, you didn't expect 14 people to go under 62. I don't think many people did. And a lot of people, I think, had questions about how much did the wind hurt slash help or have no effect overall on the race? Uh, so, I mean, this is just my personal opinion. So um, I, I guess it's just as you take it. But um, I think if there was no wind on the backstretch, I, th- like, I think we would be looking at a 61 low race instead of, you know, like the top American, like being like 61.36. Um but that also kind of begs the question whether or not, you know, I mean, like, I'm sure there were some places where we did get a tailwind. Um, but if I were to grade the day, uh, I like, I think it was probably like B plus conditions. Like the wind was not strong enough to really like stop people from running fast. Um, and, you know, kind of like, uh, especially to that point, like, I mean, we were in a huge like group of people. It was just a pack of people. So, um, you know, like if you kind of wanted to be in the middle, you, you could just kind of make your way in the middle and then someone could block the wind for you. Or if you wanted to make your own way, you, you could, you know, like kind of be on the side or, you know, you, you could like kind of be towards the back. So I think based on where your positioning was, like you could have been a little bit more like strategic too, because other people could have done more of the work. But I think, you know, like everybody kind of switched off and, you know, like pretty much like did their part. And even though the wind was maybe a little bit of a factor, um, you know, like, I think it was a pretty fair time, you know, like all considering, like it wasn't boosted by any means. It was just a very honest, you know, like fair time for all those like, uh, 14 men that, uh, won under 62 minutes. And, and even if we're talking about like the men that went under 63 and 64, um, like, I mean, like, I think it was a very fair race in general. And within that big group that you were running with, do you feel like it was a tactical race for you personally and for the group itself? Or was it more just like a, almost like a group time trial where everyone was just trying to get the best possible time on that day? Absolutely not a tactical race. It was a time trial. Everyone was working together. Um, I think where it got tactical was maybe mile, like, like maybe mile 11 and a half or 12. Um, and that's where the real moves were made. I mean, people closed hard. Um, and you could definitely see some of that separation, even from, you know, the first American to the second to the third. And, and, you know, like, and then after that, everybody was kind of bunched up, uh, within like, um, anywhere from a fight, like maybe like a five to eight second range. Um, and, and I'm sure that you even saw that in like the top 10 for the men's field as well, too. Um, I mean, that last kilometer is like flying fast. So, 
I think even when Houston can be a time trial, like it was for most of the race, um, it's going to be very tactical towards the end. And, you know, people are going to start making moves. Yeah, it was. So I was at the finish line and I was kind of doing like a live broadcast from there. And it was so exciting to see. You saw Jared and Reed come through and then just this big pack of guys. It was insane to watch in person. And for you personally, obviously, this was a huge PR. It was a historic race. You're now 34th all-time U.S. male half marathoner. That's, that's an enormous accomplishment. With that said, do you have like this other part of you is like, oh, maybe I could have passed a couple guys? Or can you just relish in the success of the day? Well, like... I mean, like, that is an interesting question because, you know, you can always ask, well, I mean, like, what if I did this? Or like, I guess like, what if I did that? You know? And, and I mean, like, I guess I could ask, like, what if I actually hung on to that move at 11 and a half, you know? I mean, like, what if I was there? Right. But, um, but I was very happy with my performance. Um, I mean, I really only had like, five weeks of, of, you know, like actual workouts before this race. I took a lot of dine, you know, I, uh, uh, took like, uh, a lot of downtime after New York. Um, and that definitely like recharged my system just kind of mentally, physically. And, and, and I was really good to go. But, um, I, I mean, the crazy thing is that we're still building from here. Like we haven't done anything too crazy in terms of like, uh, peak workouts or, you know, like the volume has still been like fairly high at this point. So I think we're just really climbing on our fitness. So as you've talked about many times on this podcast and you've, you've posted about this as well, after, after your last Boston experience, you know, you and your coach, James McCurdy, kind of re-looked at your training and kind of what was working and what, what hasn't worked. And when you were looking at New York and you ran you know, very, very well in New York and you went into that race with high expectations and you ran exceedingly well, after New York, what decisions did you and James make in terms of not only your rest and recovery, but how to approach the winter for race preparations and what races you wanted to do? Well, you know, I mean, that was clearly a very big victory for us. Like we had a high finish at a, you know, like at a major marathon in our future. And, um, that was a very big day. So we were very happy. We were, uh, very blessed that that happened. Um, you know, and the main priority after New York, it was just to rest up and recover and really take our time, you know, go on runs if you feel like it, you know, kind of like spend time with family. Um, and kind of during that downtime, it was, it was just more a week of just kind of uh, rest and relaxation. And then the next week, we, you know, like we kind of talked about our plans, you know, like we talked about, okay, so like, what do we want to do for the spring? Like we have Houston here, like, how are we going to set ourselves up for Houston? And the one thing that we talked about was that we were in no rush. And I try to preach this to my athletes all the time. Like, we're in no rush. He's like, dude, if you run sub 62, that's great. If you run 62.30, that's okay. But I'm not going to sacrifice uh, future fitness just for a short-term gain. And that was pretty much what we focused on. It was like, okay, if we're there, we're there. Um, you know? And if the signs show that we can run sub 62 or compete, you know, like with that field, then yeah, like that's fantastic. But we just kind of wanted to take advantage of the opportunity at hand and kind of see what we could do. And I think this sets us up very, very well for the spring season for sure. And what does the spring season mean for you? Yeah. So this is kind of what the spring seasons means for me. Um, 
So I will not be competing in the trials. Oh, um, hey now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will be looking to do a 10K in about a week from now. Uh, the Phoenix Maze at 10K. It's on February 8th. And then, uh, you know, like, and then after that, uh, we're going to be going after Boston again. Okay. So, so many follow-up questions. I guess the first one is, when did you decide you weren't going to run the trials and why? Um, so we kind of talked after New York and we realized that like, there's a lot of other opportunities besides running the trials. I didn't want to be that guy that kind of had that focal point on every four years. That's how I kind of viewed it last time. Like, sure. Like, do I want to be competitive? Yeah. But like, I feel like we kind of weighed the pros and cons of different opportunities. Like I think doing other races besides the trials kind of opens up this you know, I guess like the spring season in a different way for us, uh, you know, because we don't have the rush to get right back into marathon fitness. Um, you know, we can focus on a later marathon. We can maybe get a little bit more speed work in the meantime while keeping our volume fairly high. So I think it just presented us more opportunities. Um, and we thought those opportunities were a little bit better than running the trials. And you have other people say like Des Linden, who kind of has kind of split the difference, right? She announced that she's going to be doing the trials and doing Boston. Was there any part of you either, you know, before she made that announcement or maybe after she did and you thought, oh, maybe that is a good idea where you thought like that, that maybe doing <laughs> both that there was potential there. Um, so I guess no, because James would kill me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like doing like uh back to back marathons like that. Um, you know, I, I mean, like it's risky, but I mean, if you look at the perspective from Des, like she's really experienced, like she's been there before. So she's coming from a whole new level, from a whole new outlook than me. So I, I wouldn't even put myself in her category. Um, you know, she's, she's like absolutely a lot higher up on the pecking order for sure. Um, you know, and she has the opportunity like, uh, to do both. And like, that's fantastic. Um, but personally speaking for me, um, I like, I just didn't really think it would be a good choice because like, I know how my body reacts after a marathon and I don't have that level of maturity yet, uh, to bounce back from a marathon and then go do one like two months later. I mean, maybe if we're talking three or four or five years down the road, um, you know, then yeah, sure. But, um, as of right now, like where I am as an athlete, it just won't work. So you felt like if you went to the trials that you weren't going to be in the kind of shape where you'd be able to have the performance that you'd want to have. Well, I mean, I would be in good shape and, and I feel like I would have the performance that I would want to have. Um, but again, we just saw other opportunities that, you know, looked a little bit more enticing. Uh, you know, just, just kind of like more opportunities that would benefit us for the future and kind of set us up down the road more. Um, and I think just doing both just wasn't in the cards. It would just be rushed. It would be chaotic and there would be a lot of risk involved with that. That makes sense. And I guess there, you also have the opportunity now where you might have certain people who will run the trials and maybe if things don't go well, they'll pull out and say, okay, I'm going to save myself for Boston you know, you obviously had that opportunity as well, right? You could have said, okay, let's go for the trials and, you know, do like, you know, and test it out, right? And say like, okay, we're going to give this a go. I'm going to start it and be like, you know what? It's not there. 
you know, we're going to make Boston the A goal. Was that, was that, was that ever a potential? Uh, no, no, it was just, we were going to pick one or the other. Um, and you know, you know, like, and maybe, I mean, like, and maybe looking back on it, it's a conservative approach, but I think what's been awesome is that more conservative approaches has benefited me. Um, so they have benefited me in the short term and the long term. So, um, so like, I really do think it's the right decision for me because it's, it's, it's just going to set me up for opportunities down the road. Um, you know, like, and again, I don't, I, you know, like, I mean, like I've worked so hard over the past like couple of years, I don't want to, you know, like make this like a, oh, like every four years, like this is the trials, like for me, I didn't have that passion or the fire for it this year. I was just like, ah, like I would rather do Boston, you know? I mean, I know Boston for me last year was a pretty difficult experience. So like, I like to get a bit of uh, uh, redemption on that course for sure. That's interesting because for so many people, the trials is like that emotional race, if for no other reason, that it just doesn't come around very often. And I know a lot of people often say that, hey, if you really need to go after the things that you're excited about, especially if you have a lot of legitimate options. So what about Boston specifically gets you really excited to run that race? Well, it's, I mean, it's in the Northeast. Like, I love that. Um, two, kind of my family can watch me, you know, I mean, uh, they're going to be there, which is going to be fantastic. Um, you know, three, like it, it's, just, I really, really, really want redemption on this course. Like, um, you know, like I want to run really, really well in Boston and like, not that I'm going to put any undue expectations on myself, but, um, I mean, like I'll know how to approach it this time. And, um, you know, I'm very confident in that if we have the same like preparation that we had before New York, that I'll very much be able to be successful at Boston 100%. Yeah, I can imagine. And what has training been like for you over the past month or so now that you've, you know, after your five week rest and you're getting back into it? Because it seems like your group up in Flagstaff, you know, with with James and some of the guys, obviously Flagstaff has a wonderful running community and there's no shortage of people to run with. But it seems like that the group that you've been with has been pretty close knit and expanding over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I mean, like, absolutely. I mean, like we've been seeing a lot of good growth and, you know, like, I think that like we've been seeing a lot of good performances, um, you know, and, and it's just really, really just exciting for us. Um, you know, and especially for James, because, you know, I, I, I mean, it was, you know, like James obviously had his coaching business, but, you know, um, like I started working with him maybe a year and a half ago and, um, you know, like, and maybe he like, you know, like kind of saw this coming or like, kind of like foresaw this, but, um, you, you, you know, I mean, like, I think we've made a tremendous amount of growth over the past, you know, like a uh, year and a half. And I'm certainly excited for the future of our, you know, like of our group going forward. And your personal growth, basically since Boston to now, is nothing short of you know exciting and exceptional, considering all the things that you've been able to accomplish. Basically, PRing every single distance, um, if sometimes more than once over. What have you learned in the past year 
that you can not only continue to learn from, but pass on to others? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just running. I mean, like I thoroughly enjoy it and, and I'm really humbled by the sport and I'm humbled by the athletes that I coach, like the great community that I live in up in Flagstaff. Um, just, I mean, like I'm in awe of just what, what, what really anybody achieves up here. You know, I mean, I could go down the list, but you know, we have world-class athletes in our town, um, you know, and like, it's amazing to watch them, but you know, I don't really do it for myself, Matt. I, I do it, you know, like, I mean, like I do it for my girlfriend. I do it for my family. Like I do it for James. I do it for my teammates. Like, I mean, like I kind of alluded to this maybe, but like, um, you know, like I have a really solid foundation now emotionally and physically and like spiritually and mentally. And, and like, that's so important for me. So when that's rock solid and that foundation is set in stone, nothing can crack that. So I stepped on the line at Houston, for example, knowing that I won before, like I even started the race. Like I won that race in my mind. Cause I was there, I was ready to go and I was prepared and I had the support of my family, my friends and my teammates behind me. And, and that's all that really matters. So kind of a long story short, I would say just be grateful and humble for the people that you have in your life because they could make a, you know, just like they could like truly make a big difference. And what have you learned from a tr specific training perspective? And I think your friend, you know, your coach James posted even today about how when you ran your first 64 in the half, that that was kind of this this watershed moment. But then after that, things weren't, progress wasn't exactly linear after that. Uh, and then over the past year and a half, you know, despite, you know, what kind of the, the Boston buildup, your progression has really ramped up and you're continuing to improve. What, what part of your training has been altered from a standpoint of like, okay, this, these are, these are principles that I'm adopting as opposed to previous principles that maybe I held tightly that no longer serve me? Well, definitely taking my easy days really easy. Like I run anywhere from, you know, like 6.45 to like 8.30 pace on my easy days, you know? So taking 8 those- 8.30 pace? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So keeping that recovery really easy, uh, making sure my workouts are intentional. Like I always ask myself, like, what do I want to accomplish today? Like, what is the goal, you know? And once I generally ask myself that, I can get an answer. You know, I talk over with James and then we go about doing the workout. So kind of being intentional in our efforts in the workouts. Um, a big part is just getting a lot of sleep, having like uh, uh, proper nutrition, um, you know, making sure like your hydration's on point, um, you know, like foam rolling, like manual therapy, like getting massages here and there. But um, I wouldn't say it's any specific point in my training. I just think it's more just, you know, like focusing on recovery, um, you know, like in between the harder sessions. So I could actually make those gains, um, you know, as opposed to running too hard and running myself into the ground. Now, do you feel like your harder sessions are either harder or longer than they used to be in the past? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, I just think, you know, like based on of just like uh, based on uh, where I'm at right now, um, like I'm able 
to do my sessions and they're, you know, like, and they're challenging. Uh, but it's really hard to draw comparisons, uh, because, you know, I, I, I mean, a lot of these sessions are up at altitude too, you know? Um, but I would say this, I would say my sessions are, you know, very, very much appropriate, uh, to what my ability level is. Um, and the, and like, I guess kind of like the length and the volume of them is just dictated on what I could handle in my like mileage and volume and just my weekly like buildup. Um, like if that makes sense. Yeah, I know. I know. Cause leading into Boston, it was, I know that you and James had both talked to me about how, you know, that you, you just, you know, you, you kind of burnt out a little bit. I don't know if that's the wording you use, but that was kind of the paraphrase yeah. of what happened. Yeah. So do you feel like that was too much? Do you feel like it was too much workout, you know, too much volume, or was it just too little recovery? Um, you know, I really think it's like we were hitting like home run workouts. I mean, we were hitting home run workouts every time and that's great. Like it does a lot for your confidence, but like, um, like it doesn't do a lot of good for your body. Like if you're hitting home run workouts all the time, like, you know, it means you're going above and beyond. Like, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of, you know, like workouts to where they just been okay. You know, I mean, before Houston, I've like, I had nothing special. Like I had no continuous tempo over four miles. I just had broken up tempos. I had some faster stuff. Um, you know, and they were good sessions and it wasn't like I walked away being like, wow, like that sucked. No, I was like, no, I mean like I was, I was like really, really happy with that, but we never had a home run session. So I think that being said, like Boston, like kind of just, uh, preparing for Boston is that we had a lot of home run sessions and, and then like we were getting really, really, really confident and like, um, and I wouldn't say the confidence necessarily hurt us, but I would say like, uh, you know, like, I mean, like in hindsight, like we probably thought we were a little bit fitter than we thought we were, you know? Um, so, so, you know, like it was kind of an awakening when we got to race day and obviously, you know, race day wasn't anything of a fitness issue. It was just more of a fueling issue. But, um, but I think if you have too many home run workouts, it's, it's, it could be good and it could be bad. Uh, but it's just like you just need to take it in perspective and put it put it in the hole as opposed to taking them one work at a time, if that makes you know like sense there. It absolutely does. In fact, Jared Ward posted something either yesterday or the day before, basically saying the same thing. Cause he, I think he had had just done a workout where he'd done some sort of like tempo run and then at the end had done three three one mile repeats. Uh, and then you know, basically said, Hey, I did this exact same workout four years ago before, you know, to the, before the trials in 2016 and my one mile repeats were a little bit faster. He goes, but I know that doesn't mean I'm less fit now. In fact, I know I'm more fit now. And it was, it was funny because it, it was, it was, I liked the juxtaposition that he created there because it, it, it basically speaks to everything that you're talking about. And when you, you just spoke about your lead up to Houston, you mentioned a couple of times that you weren't, weren't like you were just killing it for three months going into this race where you had, you know, a lifetime best performance. So how did you know, I mean, obviously you and James had a pretty good idea what rate, what race you were going to be able to run. How were you able to predict that knowing that you didn't have, you know, these, you know, crazy workouts, saying crazy, but like, you know, these series of high level workouts leading up to the race that would maybe indicate certain fitness levels. 
Well, when you talk about like the coach athlete relationship, as you work more together, you like kind of get to know each other more. So, um, so, you know, like we've done a few of these workouts in the past and some of these workouts, I mean, pretty much all these workouts were a lot faster than we've done in the past leading up to when I ran, you know, uh, 102.31 in Phoenix Mesa about a year ago. So all these workouts are faster and, you know, I mean, like they're nothing special. It's not like we're going to the well in every single one of them. Um, but I mean, we just kind of knew, like we had a feeling, like we had a really, really good feeling about Houston, you know? I mean, maybe it was a bit of overconfidence. I don't know, but I mean, like we knew it was a long time coming that this was going to happen. It was just when we were going to do it, not a question of if we were going to do it. Yeah. And it's going back to those home run workouts. I saw someone else wrote the other day that maybe it was Sarah Hall. I can't, I can't quite remember. So, so pardon my, pardon my ignorance on this one, but basically the, the post was something like you can figure out how fit you are, not only by the hard session you did, sort of like you know, the hard long run that you did, but how you felt afterwards. Exactly. And by that, they obviously meant like, all right, like you might've killed that workout, but that workout might've killed you as well, as opposed to like, Hey, I ran a good workout. And the next day, you know what? I felt pretty, I felt, you know, pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll give you a very, very, like very good example of that. Um, like I had my first big workout after Houston, uh, this last Sunday and it was, it was a total of 21 miles in the day. And it was 16 miles in the middle at like a 525 average at 6,500 feet. Right. So like we've done this before and it was, you know, like on a pretty flat course, like we kind of like drove out of town for it. Um, and we knew it was really nothing special. It was just a primer to kind of get us introduced to marathon work again. Right. So that was the intention and the effort. We kind of checked that box off. Well, next day did in, you know, like 11 and four double the next day and 11 and four double. And then yesterday I had 25 by 400 meters at, at around 66, 67 average for the whole thing with a minute walk, you know, um, have I done 400 meter workouts faster than that? Yes. But have I done them faster than that coming off of a marathon session that Sunday? No. So I think looking in, looking in context of what you've just done and how you're recovering from it and what you do next is really important. And I think Sarah Hall hit that point right on the dot. All right. Well, this is really exciting. I'm so excited to follow you and I'll be in Boston and man, you know, you're obviously training is going well and I couldn't be happier for you and getting to know you during this process just has been so enjoyable. And now that you're not going to be at the trials, let me ask you, who do you think is going to be top three? You don't have a dog in the fight anymore. So you, you, can, you can answer this one unbiasedly. Uh, I mean, like, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but no. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I, like, I honestly don't know. Like Atlanta's course is, is, is like so wild and it could be such a humid day. And just based on just, you know, how everyone races, it, it, could, it, like, it could be like a different top three any other day. Um, so... I honestly couldn't really give you an honest answer for that. Um, I just know that it's going to be a dogfight, and our American field is talented, very, 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 very talented on the men's and the women's side. Um, and I'm very, very excited to watch. So 
Um, All right. Well, then let me ask you this. I'll question. leave it at that. You, so you, but you've seen the course. You you've seen the topographical map and all of that stuff. And so, with that said, knowing the stakes of the race and knowing the conditions and the course itself, what kinds of runners do you think it probably benefits? Oh, people who were extremely good at cross country in college or extremely good in cross country right now. Uh, I would say people who are very good on hilly courses. I would say people who like, who are like able to break up their rhythm during a race, you know, kind of slow down, like kind of speed up, like, like that's what Atlanta's courses. It's just a cross country course over the marathon distance. Um, so I really think the strongest runners are going to be getting those top three spots on those days. Um, that's, you know, I mean, like that's going to be like 100% what's going to happen. Um, I mean, just based on how much incline and decline the course has overall and just, you know, it, it's, I mean, like it's going to be a cross country runner's course. Absolutely. Which begs the question that so many people are asking in and around this race is what do you think about someone like Jim Wamsley, who's coming from certainly an atypical background for an Olympic trials marathon showdown, but checks some of those boxes that you just laid out? Um, well, I think Jim's extremely talented um, and he's done so much in the sport and I think he's really dangerous. I think people are going to underrate him to be honest. Um, you know, he, he has like the strength of, you know, being a trail runner, a mountain runner, you know, can hold these crazy paces for so long. Um, I think he brings a whole new level of endurance um, and it's going to be interesting to see how he does. I think if people make mistakes early on, I feel like Jim can capitalize on that because he has experience with hills. He knows how to run fast over hilly courses. So I think Atlanta sets him up for a very good course. And, uh, you know, knowing Jim, he's a really nice guy and he's a great competitor. And, um, and I wish all the best of luck to him. And all the best of luck to you, John. I know this is basically going to be our recap episode because you're not going to be participating in the trials. But this has been so much fun following you. Houston was an absolutely great experience to see you do that in person. So thank you so much for being a part of this and best of luck to you in all your future races and especially in Boston. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you for having me on again. It was a pleasure. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. John has really developed into a friend of mine over the past year or so. He's such a great guy, so insightful. And shoot, I'm going to, I'm going to miss having him on the show for all of these wonderful conversations, but it's just great seeing him do all the things that he is excited about. And I'm sure there are wonderful things ahead. With that being said, ahead for us, we're going to have preview episodes with a lot of the other runners that we've been chronicling now for the last eight or nine months as they prepare for the Olympic trials. We're talking about Sarah Bishop, Lou Serafini, Kellen Taylor, Roberta Groner, Roberta, blah, blah, Roberta Groner. There it is. Roberta Groner, Jared Ward, Parker Stinson. And it's just going to be a lot of fun, very exciting, and I just can't wait. And then we'll also have, right before the trials, a preview episode. We'll figure out who uh, is going to join me for that. But just talking about what we think will happen during the race, what, what may happen during the race, and just more fun stuff along those lines. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.
Crushing is deep, I'm a real person. 